It is exactly 73.4 degrees in this room, which is a little too hot to me. I think that's just fine, honestly. Are you eating M&Ms over there? No, I'm going to I'm just going to put a few <laughs> Have you ever had sweet tart <laughs> jelly beans? No. They're a guilty pleasure of mine at Easter. It's so good. Literally they they are the best jelly beans I've ever had in my life. Huh. You can you can put this on the podcast if you want and I'll <laughs> tell the world about my favorite Easter candy. Oh wait, so so every let me get this straight. Every Easter you pick up some some of these jelly beans. Absolutely. And then you make them last the entire year. Oh no, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> I, I eat them all very quickly because they're so good. But they are like legit. I don't think like they are my favorite type of jelly beans, and they're they're very weird to people who like traditional jelly beans. But I don't love traditional jelly beans, so they work for me. You ready to get into this thing? I forgot how awkward Zoom can be for online classes because I was doing it kind of like online office hours today. Not exactly, but it was just like a, a kind of a learn a learning session for econ. Mm. And Zoom classes are just so awkward. Yeah. I like them because they're convenient and regular class can certainly be awkward too. But people just don't talk and it gets so awkward because I have things I want to say, but then I don't want to just be the person that talks all the time. Mm-hmm. But then if I don't talk all the time, we, we just have like three straight minutes of silence. And okay, any questions, people? Yep. It's just, just bad. Well, okay. One thing, and I totally agree. Now, I definitely, I've talked about this before. I mean, last year when everything was online, I definitely took advantage of that, like full advantage uh, <laughs> wow. in a bad way. But uh, I think what, what works for my class, my English class, when we have to be on Zoom for Intro to Fiction, he gives us opportunities to earn sort of like extra credit if we... Mm-hmm like say a certain number of comments. Like there's no, like, obviously there's no, like if you say this number, you get, but it's just like 47 comments. If you do 46, you're yeah, failed the class. <laughs> exactly. It, but you know, he encourages discourse and also he's just a great guy. So it works, but that I, I just know that like encouraging it with credit for the class definitely helps for sure. But yes, I don't like them either because they're super awkward. My charitable theory is that people are not wanting to interrupt each other because that's awkward. But my uncharitable theory that one of my professors thinks is the truth is that people are just on YouTube. <laughs> and like, okay, we've lost them, boys. They're gone. If they even show up, we've lost them. Sad. Yeah. But it's so convenient. It doesn't have to be this awkward. People could participate. People could use the thumbs up emoji and could use yes and no and could use the chat. It, it doesn't have to be like this. Uh, you Enneagram one, seeing the way, the <laughs> world for what it could be. <laughs> Which means I walk around very sad, but it's it doesn't have to be like this. Zoom is so helpful. It, we can create a experience that's very similar to the classroom with none of the, you know, having to go out in the rain stuff. That's true. But we can't handle it. We're just, we don't want to be uncomfortable. And Zoom is kind of uncomfortable sometimes. Happy dead week. <laughs> Happy dead week indeed. And it's called that because Joe metaphorically dies. So I looked at my class schedule and I actually do have a bit less of a crazy schedule this week than I thought I did. But for those listening, uh, me and Zachary talked about it outside of the podcast. Uh, shocker, I know. We do talk outside <laughs> of this. Um, that's not allowed. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I have no finals this year, which is awesome. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, it's super cool. All I have, so I have four different classes because I dropped a class. So one of them, I have a big paper. 
Another one, I have a test, which is not a final. It's th- th- We've just had like four tests through the year, and then that's that's it. A paper, a test, a project where I have to do like web design, which is kind of, it's a lot of work, but it's fun, I guess. And then a presentation on, but it's on Zoom. So like, it's no, it's not a big deal. Like, come <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> I actually took speech class in 2020 online. I did too. It was the best decision <laughs> of my life. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I thought all of that was going to be due this week originally. It's not. Um, half of it is due this week and half of it is due next week. So it's a bit more sparsed out, but I, I don't have to like go anywhere and take a final, which is really, really awesome for me because I don't like finals as, as the, just the same as anybody else. I, have you ever met a person who likes finals? No, never. I mean, I don't mind. Well, it's just, they make me just so nervous because it's like the entire grade of the class kind of weighs on one event. It just makes me so nervous. Yep, yep, yep. And I'm kind of like a nervous wreck, like leading up to it. And then once I like oh, sit down, it's like, okay, open it up and everything. Then I get usually get a little bit less nervous because it's like, okay, I think I know how to do most of these, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But then it, there's always some nervousness that never goes away until you leave. And then you feel like you're walking on air when you leave the building. That's like, true. Yes. My grade is set in stone. <laughs> nothing that can happen. Nothing to worry about. It's all good. That's true. Now, do what's your like... What is your study process for finals? We actually, okay, let's actually do this topic a little earlier. Let's do a school status report of like looking back at how this year was. Okay. The reason I didn't want to do it quite yet was because like I haven't taken my finals and can't say like, oh, I got the grade or whatever, mm. but I don't know what I got. But the, this semester has been very interesting for me because it's been through the business program that I'm doing. And I actually looked it up. It is essentially... I might be getting these numbers wrong, but the Kelly business minor is like 15 additional credits, if I'm not mistaken. And the one I'm doing is, I think, 28 or 30 additional credits, something like that. So uh, significantly more because I was thinking like, oh, should I have done like a Kelly minor instead of this uh, business certificate I'm doing? But then I was looking at the requirements and it turns out the business certificate is actually there is more classes to be taken, many of them through Kelly. So it's actually like, quote unquote, a harder, even though it's a certificate, not a minor. Anyway, the way it worked out, I had to take one seminar and then I had to take three courses and one of them not in Kelly. It was just through the the econ department, econ, microeconomics, B251. The the numbers can, you know, instill fear to everyone who's taken that because I was like, we were driving past the tutoring center, like the campus unofficial tutoring center, like come here when you're having a hard time with your classes. And it was like help with all these things, finite and and uh, accounting and everything. And it gave all these numbers and just looking at those numbers because I had already taken those classes, the, those series of arbitrary numbers struck fear into my heart just looking <laughs> at them. Like, I don't remember the the number for finite. But it's just like looking at that number just brings back memories. Oh, oh no. Mm-hmm. It's so bad. Yeah. So that's a good way to not get me to go into a room if you put that number up. It's like, <laughs> oh man, bad flashbacks. Mm. Where am I going with this? I'm going with that I actually will have one online final and two in-person finals. Okay. That's, hey, I like online finals. Online finals are good. And by definition, like the professor's like, yes, open notes, like as if we mm-hmm. could stop you or whatever. But yep. the yes, open notes, go online in Canvas and take it. And the others are pretty... One of them will not be too bad, I think. One of them will be will be medium. So we've mm. got an online, one that shouldn't be too bad, and one that should be medium. Again, so what's my study process? So what it has really been for the classes I'm thinking of, which are in-person, which is econ and legal environment of business, have really just been a little different, of course, because the law is different than economics. But econ has been get my hands on as many practice problems as I humanly can. So it's great that there are like the quizzes on Canvas and everything. And then I've been looking up additional practice problems as well. And obviously 
anytime I come to one I don't know, I either like try it because if it's an online one, it has the answer. So I try to reverse engineer. But, okay, I know the answer. And like, look at this graph. How can I reverse engineer what I'm supposed to do? And then take what I'm supposed to do and apply it to new practice problems, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. it's like, if I don't know exactly what the process is, but I know the answer is four, I can figure out what they want me to do to get the answer for just based on all the points on the graph. Gotcha. So that's one way of doing it. It's really just you got to do those kinds of problems over and over to get good at them. Mm-hmm. Shout out to the uh, TAs for that class who thankfully did not go on strike. Actually, I think they <laughs> went on strike for four days to show support, but they did not stay on strike. So shout out to both of them. They have been so helpful. They've answered all my questions. So it's really been a process of talking to them. Practice, again, as many practice problems, both the ones in the course and ones online that I can find. And then legal environment of business, it's actually helpful because the professor makes something called a summary sheet which is like, here's what we're, you're going to be tested on. And it's like, maybe it's not everything, but a good bit. So it's been writing down everything on the summary sheet. So it's like concept A, and then I write everything I know about concept A. Concept B, I write everything I know about concept B. But then I have a blank version of that sheet. Of course, it's all on the computer. No paper in my life, Joe. <laughs> when I'm ready to study, I look at the summary sheet, but of course the blank version. And then I'm like, let me speak out loud and say everything I know about this topic, then compare what I said out loud to the version that's filled in, which is a different text file, if that makes sense. One thing that like our professor in legal environment of business said, don't do, is don't reread your notes and then think you automatically know the material because you're just tricking yourself. Like you can't, we can't lock you in a room and have you say all this stuff. You're just re- looking at it and you're confusing recognition with actually understanding the material. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I recognize this. I just read this yesterday. Yeah, but you have not read it enough or thought about it enough to the point where you can literally get it from thin air. So don't just read it and think, mm-hmm. oh, I know it now. Don't think that. But so it's really just been, you know, practice problems for A200, uh, which is accounting. And then it's been practice problems for econ as well. And then it's been legal environment of business. Active recall is what it's called. There's actually a good YouTube video I'll put in the show notes. Basically, active recall is not as helpful for math-based subjects because you just have to do the problems and actually know what you're doing. I uh, know the process for kind of front and back, but if it's a class where it's more knowledge-based of like facts and figures, then active recall is the way to do it. You need to quiz yourself over and over until you can just say it and, you know, everything like that. Hmm. And there certainly are practice problems for that one too, but they are less of a less of a focus on the course. It's more just understanding how the law works. And all of these classes, I really have learned a lot. And I feel like I'm just starting to get the hang of econ and accounting and just in time for the last test and you're done. Go take something <laughs> else. Like, I'm like, oh man, if only I could have known all this stuff before I took the class. It's like, that's why you took the class. But just looking back to the first quizzes and everything, wow, this was so easy. If only I you know, could take it now, I'd do so well. But mm-hmm. that's how it works in school. Yeah. Well, that's honestly, that's pretty interesting to me because like, I think it really, really does depend on the kind of classes that you're in because I mean, you even said if it's like a math class, you got to do something different. Right. And so So this semester I've been in uh, history of video games, like I talked about, and we don't have a final, but if we did, it would not be critically important for me to understand and know out of thin air, all of the (laughs) things that we talked, right? Like I'm not going to use that in my day-to-day life or my career. And in some classes, the test questions explain themselves. Exactly. Exactly. So like, I feel like I've gotten the hang of it in the past year-ish or so, maybe more than that. I don't know. Of knowing, it's sort of like you said, I think, I don't, some book about how to, how to win at college or something. Yeah. Cal Newport, how to win at college. Knowing what you need to learn and knowing what you can skip. Like I know that I don't need to memorize everything for that class. And I know that I can, because my, my philosophy on finals is usually, um, absorb it like a sponge, spit it back out and be done. 
And that's about it. It's about a three-hour process from start to finish. Understanding schmunderstanding. <laughs> exactly. And, and it works for, for classes. Like I said, for history of video games, don't need that, right? But for like for graphic design, I I do need to understand what kerning is. And I do need to understand like how much spacing to put in between paragraphs in, in, in graphic design and in magazine uh, production, right? Like that is actually stuff that I want to use and that I think I will use. And so I, I do put effort into actually understanding and recalling that. Um, but yeah, I think it just depends on the class uh, for me, at least in finals, just yeah, because I don't think it's worth it to, to put a bunch of time into stuff that I'm not actually going to use. You know, that's at least my philosophy. The Joe method. That's right. Don't yeah, don't don't take that as uh, the best way to do things. That's just the way I do things personally. <laughs> and it's worked out OK so far. So there you go. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. So it's cool status report. Year, good, bad, medium. I think this year has been good. I think it's been more challenging personally than academically. Hmm. Um, I've said this to a few people. I might have even said it to you, Zachary, but it's basically taken me all of junior year to be okay with graduating senior year. (laughs) And I feel like I'm okay with it now. Uh, But yeah, as far as like how I've been this, this school year and this semester, at least not super challenging academically. I mean, there have been crunch times for sure and like challenging specific things, but I mean, I've been doing this for a while, I feel like now, and I, I feel like I've got the hang of it at this point. But yeah, I, like I said, it's been more challenging from a personal perspective just because I have to learn that <laughs> this is, man, we're just jumping right into it. This, I mean, I, I've had to learn that like college is very limited on time and like you, you're here and then you're gone. And so it's important to make the best of it for what you want out of it. And so if you, if you really want to get good at something that you're majoring in, put a ton of time into that. You know, if for me, I mean, I feel like I've always put my relationships and friendships ahead of that, which, you know, (laughs) maybe I haven't gotten the best (laughs) grades, but like, I've always, I've always, you know, put people ahead of that because I, I don't know, I just find more enjoyment out of that. And so this year I've had to make decisions on like what's worth it to me to spend time on what's not worth it to spend time on because there's limited time so i guess status report is that joe is existential and is learning how to deal with it (laughs) in healthy-ish ways (laughs) (laughs) healthy-ish ways as for my school status report it's just been a it's been a weird one because of all the the business classes again that's not my field of interest and it really has just been the business classes are a lot different they are kind of learn for the test as opposed to the media school is no wrong answers. That's right. That's <laughs> you right. Just do whatever you want. No, no problem. No problem. Make, make stuff. And it's, you know, write essays and be creative. The one media school class I'm in, like sometimes the me or the other students will be like, Oh, this might be off topic or like, we're not saying the right thing or whatever. And the instructor's like, no, go for it. It's like the media school. It's very, mm-hmm. very much a liberal arts environment in which you can kind of do whatever you want. Not so for math, not so for legal environment of business and the law. So yeah, very different environment for sure. But then I'll go back to the media school. I'll spend a lot of time there. I'm actually going to probably graduate one semester early in the senior year of spring. hey Because I came in with our existing Ivy Tech courses already there. So might as well. That just means I'll have to start working and being productive sooner. But I think it will be good. And in order to not have like two classes each time, I'm adding a specialization in audio journalism in addition to my specialization in editing and post-production because i've had so much fun podcasting why not throw that in there as well 
there are any companies that want to hire me out there for a good podcast, go for it. <laughs> this is your guy right here. From week to week, it's just been sort of, I, I like school. I do. It's just, it's weird. These are very different classes than I've taken before and have definitely taken, a, I feel a fair bit of effort. I mean, they're not impossible, but again, a fair bit of effort to actually know what you're doing and not just sort of stumble the way through. Cause I was stumbling my way through for several weeks and Again, it's taken all this time till now. I finally feel confident with the like these concepts we're doing, and it's time to be done. Good job. Uh, you don't get to like coast. There's no such thing as coasting. And it's weird because like I mean, you said it earlier. Like that's the goal of the class. You know, be better at the thing that you're doing than you were before you took the class, right? Which seems like you've accomplished it. Why do they call it dead week? Do you have any theory? Is it just because everyone's dead inside and the you know my classes seem kind of empty as well? So maybe people are just on in their beds quietly sleeping. I think it's, it's, I think it's called dead week because it is, there's no classes that are supposed to happen. No classes that are supposed to happen. My professors didn't get that memo. Yeah. Right. That, that, so like my understanding is that dead week is like the week before, like the calm before the storm. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's work days in class and ask all the questions you need to get answers to. And we're going to go through the study guide together and meet with your groups for, you know, like that sort of thing. Like it's like gearing up for finals week. And so theoretically then there's supposed to be no class because, you know, email me with questions, come to my office hours or, you know, go through the study guide or work on what you need to do in class time. Right. Stuff like that. That's what I've understood it as always, at least. All right. Well, good luck, Joe. Have fun being busy in your last week here. And then you can be done. And so can I. Hooray. I will. And then I'm, I'll be a senior and you'll be a junior, which is crazy. <laughs> I remember just the other day we were in fifth grade. I know. And I was giving you a piggyback ride down to the gas station. <laughs> Joe was like twice as tall as me, everybody. He was like, it was, it was insane. Uh, now he's only like one fifth as tall as me or, you know. One fifth more. Yeah, there you go. But used to is pretty intense. It was pretty intense. Yeah. Speaking of having constrained time and, you know, it's hard to get everything done in the allotted amount of time. I had a period of time this week, especially over the weekend, where I was really feeling inadequate as a musician. I made the classic mistake. I got on YouTube and was watching all of these just amazing drummers. I watched some of JD Beck, who is just a phenomenal jazz drummer who does grooves like you've never heard before. You don't even know what he's doing half the time. His hands are flying. Strange triplety and rudiment type grooves are playing. It's very difficult to understand what's happening. You've got Larnell Lewis, who is just all around great uh, and phenomenal. Then you've got Sarah Thar, who is a new drummer I've been watching. Again, great at jazz, just phenomenal. Everything, it's great timing, great feel. Wow, it's so good. But then I was watching all these YouTube videos and I went down to practice. I was like, this is, okay, I will put into, you know, I got all these ideas about different types of fills I can play and things like that. And then I just listened to myself play and was like, uh, it's, this is not good. <laughs> I guess I was thinking about, this kind of goes into our like society's culture of more where, oh, you've got to get better at your instrument. You've got to get better grades. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And But I, then I got to thinking the, the comparison is the thief of joy. So when I watch YouTube videos of really good drummers, then listen to myself play not at their level. That's true. I was happy before playing at that level I was at. I was like, yay, this is great. And then comparison, though, robbed me of that joy I had beforehand. So that's kind of what I got to thinking. So basically, I shouldn't watch YouTube videos of other people that are good at drums. I should only watch YouTube videos of people that are bad at drums. So that way I feel good. I think that's what we've learned here. But I was curious, Joe, have you ever felt the same way? You've watched this great guitar player or something, and then maybe how do you deal with it? Yeah, for sure. I think, honestly, I know people 
that are like even my age who like can play. And I look at them and I'm like, literally, how am I allowed to like lead a band when you are playing this way? <laughs> like, I don't understand. That's the frustrating part because J.D. Beck, I believe, is 18. Oh, wow. So he is two years younger than yep. me and it's very upsetting. That That's wild. It's, it's very easy to, to compare. But I think that like, at least from like, again, if you look at it from like a biblical perspective, right? Like we are who we are and like God made us to be that way. I sometimes come back to that liturgy um, from that liturgy book about going on stage, which I don't know if we've talked about in detail here. I know we talked about a few of them. Did we read that one? We talked about it in detail. Okay. We read it. At the end of that liturgy about going on stage though, there's that, there's a line I think about uh, doing like something about, I'm, I'm going to go do what you fashioned me to do. Like just this idea that like, where I'm at right now is where he created me to be right now. And like, that is okay. And he is enough. And like, obviously there's room to get better, but like you said, I mean, comparison is, is only, (laughs) yeah. I mean, it's, it's not good for us and it, it distracts us from who we are and who we are created to be. So, I mean, it's hard in the moment to like stop those thoughts and be like, I'm who I'm supposed to be. But like, I think that's the truth and that's what we should try and battle that lie with. Right. <laughs> Live no lies. That's right. Live no lies. Yeah. So you, you don't have that problem. You're, you just are more like appreciative when you see a good guitar player or something like that. I think, I think there is, there is a, I mean, I feel like there's a very human like instinct at, at the start to be like, I wish I could play like that. I wish I could play like Scott Todd and just like go crazy on, on mm-hmm. communion meditation music and like you and me both. Right. Like I just wish I could do that. I think when I hear him play, there's a, or when I hear anybody play like that, it's like, I wish I could do that. I think then, then that's like, I feel like that's the battlefield of like, okay, like what do you do with that thought? Because I could let it like eat at me and like, you know, like then it affects how I lead and like, you know, my praise, right. Or or all that stuff. So I think that I do struggle with it for sure. Um, I just think I'm trying to get better or I've been trying to get better at battling that thought when it comes into my head, you know? Well, I've thought about a couple of things that make me feel a little better. One of them is this economic idea. Look, there we go. Economics class, it's paying off in real life, but it's this economic idea of trade-offs. And our professor always brings it up because he says, your trade-off to coming to class is sleeping more or doing homework for other classes or spending time with family and friends, something like that. So a trade-off in an economic sense is defined as the second most valuable thing that you're giving up to get to your first most valuable thing. So if we think about it like that, I'm giving up additional drum practice because that's only in my second or third spot. I would much rather do what's in front of me right now, this first thing. Maybe that's being there for my family, being there for my friends, doing school, something like that. There are other things that might come up that are not additional practice on the drums. And then both my parents had advice on this, but some of their advice was like, well, first of all, maybe you don't even, it's not that you hate drums, but you don't like it as much as these people on YouTube. Like they just love it. They, cause I get tired, obviously if I practice for like an hour and a half or something, it's like, all right, time to do something that's not the drums. There might be these people on YouTube who are like, yes, practice eight hours a day. I love this. This is great. And there also is to some extent, um, an amount of natural talent. I'm sure anyone can, you know, get okay or whatever. But if you see these 16 year olds just absolutely destroying it on a drum set and they're already being, you know, featured by Zillagen YouTube channel and everything like that there's a certain extent to which you were kind of born with that. I'm born with an okay amount of talent, but if you, it's kind of like if you have that large amount of natural talent combined with that large amount of 
interest in it and you're just not going to get tired and you're going to be fine to practice for hours and hours, like a lot of Jacob kids, I think, then you're fine. You're pretty much destined to become good. But I think what I have is a medium amount of interest and a medium amount of natural talent. So that means I'll be, I'll be medium good and I'll, I think I'll have to be okay with that. And in the meantime, I'll be fine having other things take up the main stage because I'm not saying like, oh, all professional drummers, you know, hate their family or whatever. I'm sure they don't. I'm sure they love their family. But there are things that I would have to give up and I am not willing to give up those things. Mm. Yeah, that's very, that's very profound. And I think I would agree with that. I get the logic. It's just your primal thing is like, oh, these stupid people out there, they're so much better than me. Yeah, for sure. Which is very real. Because I try to destroy that with facts and logic, but it's just hard to, hard to get the message to sync. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I'm not perfect at it, by the way. (laughs) I don't mean to sound like that at all. Uh, It's definitely like a struggle for sure. But that's true though. I, I think yeah, some people just are super into it, you know, uh, hardcore. <laughs> that is already kind of making me feel better. Huh. Man, look at that. Yeah, because if, if someone's just so hardcore into it and you're not, you truthfully aren't even as interested as they are, you're like, whoa, seven hours of practice, calm down there, buddy. Yeah. But they, they like doing seven hours of practice and are fine. Yeah. Like that, that's truly just like different levels of this for me and you, music. I mean, maybe you'll do it for your job one day or something. But for now, it's this is part of what we do. This is not the thing we do. Mm. This is a small part of the many things and the many roles that we play. Yep. There you go. Speaking of playing music, Joe, I did have a question that I was wondering about. Basically, it was how did you get started singing? Because from my perspective, I walked into Encounter one day and you were singing and leading and things like that. <laughs> okay, Joe knows how to sing. I thought that's cool. But it's... Interesting. I think a lot of homeschoolers know how to sing because they're forced to play piano lessons. Mm. Like Quentin said on a, on an episode many episodes ago, music education isn't what it used to be and it isn't where it used to be. People are not automatically taught, oh, major scales, minor scales, read along the music and sing as a class and everything. So you're going to probably get some seriously tone deaf people or uh, I, maybe that's a little harsh, but you're going to have people that are not experienced and how could they be experienced because no one ever so showed them the ropes of music so they never got to really participate as fully as they might otherwise. So anyway, that rambling aside, many homeschoolers and people who have like grown up is like, you got to take piano lessons, you got to do this, will be more comfortable singing and more comfortable staying on the right key and all this sort of thing. But I don't, I think I'm, have an okay singing voice, but I don't know. I'm just curious how you go from like, I'm singing in the shower where no one can hear me to mm. it's good and polished enough that other people can, can listen to it and, and sing along and everything. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, Definitely appreciate the question, because um, I think it, it honestly with you, like I never, I never sang at the six. In my house growing up, we just sang all the time. I mean, my dad, sh- I mean, he is directly responsible for at least seventy to eighty percent of my music taste. Being able to appreciate like old music, whether that's like, you know, Barry Manilow or like. Frank Sinatra or George Strait or like whoever it is, right? Like just, we were just filled with music all the time. And I think I was not like, I I naturally liked singing. Like I remember that as a kid. Um, but I never really thought I was that good to be honest with you. Uh, like completely honest. I just didn't until like late high school. I was like, maybe I'm okay at this. (laughs) And, and then I think I feel like I've told this story before, but at the middle camp in 2019, I brought a song. I was playing it the, in the band for that camp and uh, I brought a song to the leader and I was like, we should do this because it matches the theme of the week. And he was like, okay, but you have to sing it. And <laughs> I don't know why he said that, honestly, because I don't think he'd ever heard me sing. 
Maybe he had. I don't know. I would care. Yeah, but uh, he pushed me to do that. And it, I mean, it could have gone horribly bad, but it didn't. And I mean, I was crazy nervous, but I, it was good. And basically, to my understanding, I already knew I was going to go to IU and live at CSF. Sarah Bynum was there that that day at camp. Uh, shout out to Sarah Bynum for being awesome. And uh, she, I think, told leadership at CSF about that. My understanding is that she basically was just like, hey, get him involved. And so... Uh, I knew I wanted to anyway, but yeah, that helped. And then I think it was literally just like Lydia asked me, uh, Lydia Wright, the old uh, worship coordinator, asked me to lead a song, and I did. And I think the I think the first one I did was "Build My Life," which is crazy because that was almost three years ago now. All that to say, um, I didn't. There was never like I didn't take lessons for singing. I didn't do any of that. I just kind of started. So I don't feel like I'm the best example to go off of, but I do think just like, if I could say anything, I would say like, just doing it. Like I, I didn't know how to harmonize. And then somebody was like, okay, like generally this is how you do it. And then I started and they were like, just try it. And so in the car or in the shower, I would just start harmonizing with songs. Right. And so it's the same with singing. I mean, if, if somebody wants to get good at singing, it's just like, just do it just like keep trying it and, and try to learn from the people that you're watching is, is what I would say. I don't know if that's an adequate answer or not, but do that what you will. Yeah. Cause when I record myself singing, which I have before, it's like, I'm okay, but also if it feels like there's more polishing that needs to happen. Sure. Maybe. Sure. And so basically I would be good to sing in a group, like great, whatever. But, and I would even be fine to be in the role where you're like a backup singer, but don't lead a song. If that makes sense. Like, sure. that's fine. Whatever. Be the singing drummer with a you know, microphone that picks up only your voice and not the uh, not the drums, hopefully. But so that would be a fine role. I'm just sort of curious that you learn by doing it. You never took lessons. You just followed your dad's footsteps and saying <laughs> as you went about your life in the house. Yeah, that's I mean, that's really it. There is a certain amount of confidence too. you know, that you need to be able to have so that you can like sing in front of people. And that's just I mean, the amount of people I know that won't sing in front of me because they know I sing, like it makes me kind of sad because it's like, I don't ever want to intimidate people or anything like that. Cause I, w I don't like, I, I'm not going to judge people or anything. You know what I mean? Um, but I mean, that is, if you want to get like good at it, you just got to start doing it more. And I, I, I do think it's a skill that can be like developed, you know? And I think, I think I've gotten better at it over the past couple of years. I think somebody like Quentin would be great to talk to. I mean, his voice is so dynamic and, um, I don't know. It just is. And I feel like he'd be a great person to ask. We should ask him when he was on. Cause he also went to Jacobs and like knows how to actually like <laughs> sing well, you know? Um, I just kind of do what I can, you know? <laughs> and I, yeah. And I've picked up little things here and there, you know? Um, but nothing like, I've, yeah, I don't feel like I have any real knowledge about it. <laughs> okay. So great. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Sorry to leave you there. <laughs> Just get good. Just get good. At music. <laughs> I'd be comfortable singing in front of you if it was like an actual song was playing or something, but not just for the fun of it, of course. Sure. But I guess you're saying there are people out there who don't want to sing in front of you, even in the context of a song is playing something yeah. like that. Yeah. No judgment there. Like I get being intimidated or nervous or whatever. Cause I, first time I let it encounter, I was like, I was losing it. <laughs> um, I was so nervous and yeah, but yeah, I think the more you do it, I mean, it's just like learning anything. The more you do it, the better you get. And 
if you have somebody in mind that you want to sing like, listen to their music, you know? Um, for me, like I said, I mean, we grew up listening to Frank Sinatra. So like, I remember, I remember when my older brother Jack first started to sing with like the, uh, the vibrato at the end of a, at the end of a phrase, you know, how they'll like start with the note and then they'll like, like he does on like Frank Sinatra does and Mm -hmm. just stuff like that. I mean, I remember when he picked that up and I was like, Oh, okay. Like you're, you should do that when you're singing. And so now I do that, you know, like, and that was probably 10 years ago. Um, and so, yeah, just, I'm, I would say learn by doing and listening, but that's it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Do it. Step one, doing and listening. Cause it's, I think, I don't know, singing can be fun. Like if I'm alone in my room, I'm playing some KDA, I'm like harmonizing and making up bass lines and doing all sorts of wild stuff. <laughs> it Heck sounds yeah, good to me. That's awesome. It sounds good to only me. Well, it might sound okay to other people, but it mostly sounds good to me. That's what I was doing when I was doing some accounting work earlier. I was listening to mm. more by KDA <laughs> and just making up all these, uh, these like wild jazz harmonies and bass lines. And things Ooh, and, I love that. And that's great. Like that's how you learn how to do that stuff. There's actually, there's a part in one of their songs where you can, it's not, called more that that one's pop stars there's one where you can throw in a g 13th chord and it actually sounds surprisingly good and i just figured that out by accident one day because i was looking up the chords and figuring out what oh what are the simple chords Mm. there are some more complicated ones you can throw in that sound okay yeah that's cool that's cool yeah i mean yeah just yeah and that's exactly it you just listen and then do it and then you get better at it but then it's like what bugs me about this kind of stuff is that I don't actually know what I'm doing and I probably never will. So I'll only accidentally figure out these kinds of things, if that makes Mm, sense. I doubt I'll ever be quite to the point where I can intentionally put that G13 chord in. It'll only be there on accident. Yeah. And what other cool chords am I missing out on? So my brain, as always, wants to go all the way or completely (laughs) give up. It never wants to go in the middle. But I think I kind of have to go in the middle for music. You kind of do, unless you want to drop out and go to Jacob's. (laughs) (laughs) Which I sure don't. That's not dropping out. That's just side dropping out. Switching, Side moving. That's true. And That's true. resetting your progress of, on your degree. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Speaking of all of this stuff, I mean, somebody that I've learned a lot from, like as an artist, and we've talked about her before, uh, Lizzie McAlpine, it, it, it really, especially Harmony for me, I learned a lot from her because her songs are, I mean, obviously she's a, a girl. So like she sings in keys that I can't get to in my voice, but that means usually that I can either take the, the, you know, third or the fifth, third or the sixth, something like that. One of those. Yeah. I think the third or the fifth. Yeah. I think third or the fifth. Anyway, take one of the two harmonies that are like the obvious ones, you know? So yeah, her and some others definitely. And, and honestly, have you ever, so like, okay. I don't know if you know this or not. She has a SoundCloud. Did you know that? Oh, the hipsters. Yeah, you mentioned it on the last episode. Okay, yeah. So she's got a SoundCloud and she literally has like all of her music on there. Um, huh. So when the new album came out, it was it was kind of funny. Me and Haley were listening together and she was like, oh yeah, I've heard most of these because they're on SoundCloud. And I was like, what? How? Hipster. Haley's too cool for us. Right? Um, but it's honestly super cool because you can go on SoundCloud and listen to these versions of these songs that are super pulled back and acoustic. Wait, does she have like like Doomsday and stuff pulled back edition? Yeah, I think so. Oh, that's cool. We're going right there. I, I'm ignoring the podcast and listening to this. <laughs> Get in there. Oh, and some demos too. That's kind of cool. Question about that, by the way. So like as far as your range, mm-hmm. think about the song Reckless Driving. Is that for me, that's kind of like 
it's either uncomfortably high or uncomfortably low. Yeah. But if it's uncomfortably high, I can just barely hit everything. Mm, <laughs> yes. Don't try this at home, people. <laughs> there's, some, there's some sketchy notes, but I think it all works out if I if I go through. Well, and that 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 presents a great opportunity to try harmonizing. You know what I mean? Like for me, that's what I do. Yeah, take it in the middle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but no, I think usually that's the case. It's either like it's on either extreme of my range and I can't get there, which sucks. I hate when that happens. Ugh. It's also the same for Doomsday. Uh, it's uncomfortable either way, but the high one can barely be done. Okay, what's it in originally? Let's find out. Doomsday key from Google, the trusted source from Lizzie McAlpine. Uh, that I don't. Sometimes I don't believe these websites. <laughs> Wait, why don't you just listen to the song? Oh, hang on. It's D flat. Yes, it is D flat major. There we go. Figured it out. D flat major, which I agree with, says this. Is that website. right? Doomsday is close at hand. <laughs> yeah, you, you're getting it right doomsday and showing it's like doomsday. <laughs> See, I can kind of hit that high. I mean, doomsday is close yeah, at hand. I'll put the Martin to play as you speak. That yeah, gets there's, it gets, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Gets that's sketchy. And, and that's honestly like, I guess I maybe gave singers a hard time or whatever for moving like all these worship songs like seven steps up or six <laughs> steps down or whatever stupid stuff. Now you understand. But it's like if it's uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable. Maybe it's comfortable for me or whatever, but mm-hmm. if it's uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable. And yeah, you have two chances because there's a high and low way to do things. But if mm. both are awkward and bad, then you've got to find the one that works. I had a friend send me uh, this YouTube channel of uh, unreleased John Bellion songs or like demos, which I don't know if we've talked about John Bellion on here before. Here and there. Okay. Yeah. He's one of my favorite artists like ever. Just the human condition is an album that I can listen to like and not skip a song. It's, it's really, really great. He sent me this link to a YouTube channel with all of these John Bellion songs that haven't been released or, you know, he's the, the, the sad part is that he sells songs. So like Holy by Justin Bieber the way you hold me, hold me, hold me. That song, he wrote that song and he gave it to Justin Bieber and not gave well, it. Sold, sold for it. a high price. Yes, 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 yes. He wrote, gosh, I think he's written a couple for like Camila Cabello and Selena Gomez. I think he wrote a couple for Justin Bieber. Um, but there's one in particular that I would love for you to listen to. Uh, it's called Graveyard, but it's it, just look up John Bellion Graveyard Demo. It is so good. Just listen to like into the first course. I know if you go down all the darkest roads, I will follow all the way into the graveyard. Oh, cause I keep digging myself down deeper. I won't stop till I get where you are. Basically, his unreleased songs are better than most artists' regular songs. Isn't like isn't that phenomenal? Why didn't he release that? This is gonna make me mad. I don't know. So okay, now go to Spotify and look up Graveyard by Halsey. He sold it to Halsey. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, well, I know. Well, yeah, go okay. look it up. It's it is it's it bad now? not as good. It turned bad. Boo, wrong key. <laughs> Too late. You right. This isn't bad. Again, and the hand you wanna hold is a weapon, and 
in nothing but skin. Oh, cause I keep digging myself down deeper. I won't stop till I get where you are. I keep running, I keep This isn't running, bad. I just hate it. Why do you hate it? <laughs> it's not the same, and I hate it. It's in a different key, but it's very similar. I don't actually have a huge problem with that, but it is annoying that he wouldn't release the, I guess maybe that's like, oh, if you're selling it, you can't. But wait, hang on. So it says in the description, Graveyard by John Billion, live at Cove City virtual concert. Mm. So obviously he did a virtual concert, but someone recorded like it, probably illicitly or whatever, and mm-hmm. it has this, this semi-high quality version. But it's like, I guess it's so annoying because there's, what really bugs me I'm annoyed when people don't release things because there's not like a high quality version. There's just a low quality YouTube version that's like, I know this would sound so much better if it wasn't like a 96 kilobits per second compressed MP3, like terrible thing. And so we can never hear (laughs) it in its whole glory, like actually mixed and mastered correctly how it should be. And it's like, it's out there. It's on his hard drive. He's just like, nope, you guys can't have it. Exactly. Uh, And like, what would be the problem if you just released it? Like, so what? You have the... uh. It is annoying. Makes me so angry. I, I've listened to that song, I kid you not, like probably 12 times today, 12 or 13 times. It's so good. It's so good. Like that, like that syncopated rhythm thing and like the, the like arpeggiated uh, synth in the background with just like that sustaining vocal, but like the, I think it works up four or five, six of whatever the key is. Um, four or five, six, one is like the chord progression for the most part, which is so cool because it's like the lyrics are talking about going downward but the progression is going upward and it's just oh (laughs) why would he not release that so this video was uploaded on october 25th 2021 he maybe did a virtual concert around halloween hence doing graveyard oh probably i just i think it's cool that all these artists have a ton of unreleased stuff i just kind of wish they would release it you know so dead mouse is one of my well I don't listen to him a ton, to be honest, but I do really enjoy his music. And so that's, of course, EDM. He has ridiculous amounts of unreleased stuff. In fact, back in like the old days, he had a program like 10 or 15 years ago when he was first getting started or something. He had a program where you could essentially sign up for like a membership. And one of the membership perks was basically where you could sign up, pay whatever a month, and you would essentially get all of his like works and progresses and everything. And he actually doesn't have that membership program anymore. So there are all these like occasionally, yes, some of the songs will be on YouTube and everything, but there are many songs that like there's a list of because people on like deadmass.wiki.fandom.com or whatever website will say, here are all the songs he had, but then they're not released. You can't actually find them anywhere. One of them is called Arcadia, I believe. There's not a high quality version of it anywhere, but I love it so much. A very good song, listen through good headphones, but all there is is a low quality YouTube version and low quality SoundCloud version. I can't find on the internet anywhere a high quality version, which is so annoying. Because he like mm. actually re- kind of changed the song and reworked it into a different song, but it's like in a different key and you can't really hear it. Just annoying. That is annoying because that, that did sound like I'm assuming it's based on like arcade. Like that's like the. Yes, based on like the 80s and the arcades and yeah. hence it being called Arcadia. Definitely got that vibe for sure. That was cool. He can, you know, sell it to Netflix to use for Stranger Things season four. I don't know. Just 
I, I get like, cause there's also like a live stream of dead mouse making like these really cool chords, which I'll put in the show notes, but then he deletes it. Cause he's like, Oh, he's not happy with it or whatever. So he, he made worked Ugh. on this thing for 30 minutes. It's really cool sounding song. He's like, Nope, I'm not going to save the project. Cause it's like not good. So like artists are maybe hard on themselves, just like we're hard on ourselves when learning music. Maybe we sound better than we think, but artists maybe don't think it's really either worth releasing or just sell it to someone else or like whatever. And they don't, maybe fully realize the joy and happiness they could bring to the world if only they were to release. Mm. But they're not going to do it. No. Artists, if you're <laughs> listening, Lizzie, I know you're listening. <laughs> I promise no one famous listens. Please release all of your music. We have no influence. Yeah. Well, hey, Sean Green. <laughs> <laughs> the most famous person. Uh, cut that out. <laughs> oh, man. You, have you seen The Last Dance? Have we talked about it before? Never. Okay, let me just tell you, it, it as someone who edits things, you right, would like it. Enough. Now, let me just say that it is a sports documentary, so I don't know how much. I don't know how much. Sorry, you'd be I tuned in out that. when you said sports documentary. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's but okay. The cool thing is, it's about Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. So okay, I can tolerate that. Like that's pretty recognizable. Yeah, um, it's it's literally it's phenomenal. I had no idea any of the history about any of it, so I didn't know who won which game or what series this was or whatever. I didn't know rivalries or anything like that. So watching it for me was literally like watching a show, just like a a normal drama. And the way that they do the editing is like, the, because the la- <sighs> you just need to watch it because. Yeah, they jump back and forth in time a lot, but they do it so well and it's so well edited together because most of it is footage from the 90s or before. And so they have to just work with what they have as well as interviews that they've done. But like the editor in me, as small as it is, loves it, literally loves it. And I think you would too. You're just, it's very skillful how all the old interviews were were put together to tell a story. Yeah, so basically, yes. They have, they have modern interviews with people talking about it, but then they also work in all this old like basketball game footage and, you know, post game footage as well as, so the last dance was, uh, the name for the last season that the, that the, uh, the championship winning team had. And so they let a film crew follow them around all year. And so there's also a ton of footage from that that they have to work in. And they do it so well, literally so well. I think you would really, really enjoy it. Um, Just the way that they construct a story around things that have already been filmed and happened almost 30 years ago um, is really, really, really engaging to me. I always wonder like what the process of that looks like. And I think a lot of it is making transcripts of everyone's interviews and then like editing the text, if that makes sense, and then editing along to the text you make. Because it's like, if you've got a bunch of hour-long interviews or something, you've got to really, really stay organized. None of this, like, on the desktop, file, yep. file, underscore, 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 one, dot, mp4. Like, you've got to know what everyone said and, like, where what clips are going to go where and everything. And I think, so that's what I think people Absolutely. generally do. They make a transcript. They're like, okay, we'll use this sentence here. Yep. And, oh, oh, what's funny is, like, what was, what was the thing? We were watching like an I Love Lucy documentary, me and my family, and me and Carter. Well, I've ruined Carter because I've I told, have told him about this and now he can't unsee it. But like really bad cuts, like once you know they're there, it's like Lucy was a great mm, person yep. or something like that. Like it's like, oh, you cut yep, out the um yep. or cut out the silence. It's like, I don't want you to leave the silence in there. Like you should remove all the mistakes mm-hmm. just like I do on the college try. But 
if you <laughs> don't know about it, it's fine. But if you are listening for it, it's like there are just so many jump cuts. And it's like each time it's like, whoa, this is jo- – whoa. It, the best edit is one you can't hear. And sometimes it's like low-quality footage or you're trying to edit per speed and maybe that's not a priority. But like if you heard an edit – Absolutely. That's something I like on the old episodes of The College Try I did wrong. If you heard me make an edit, I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, but I mean, we've learned, yeah. right? <laughs> or you've learned, I guess. Yeah, but I'll check it out. It's good. It's good. Yeah. And I think my whole family could probably get on board because some certain members of my family that won't be named like realistic stuff more and other members named Zachary like fictional stuff more. <laughs> uh, that's really funny. Um, no, I think you would really love it, dude. I It's 10 episodes. They're about an hour each-ish. 10 episodes? Wow. That's a... Which I know sounds a bit long. But I'm telling you, it's so engaging. It's so engaging to me. Um, and, and like you were saying, like all that organization stuff, there's one person in particular who they interview who I can tell throughout the whole thing, like it was one interview. Like they sat down and interviewed this guy for however long it took because <laughs> when it cuts to his interview, he doesn't change clothes. It's the same background. Like I can tell it was all one sitting. And to know, like they spursed out everything that he answered through 10 episodes. I mean, he talked about like his backstory, the backstory with the team, where they were going, what his plan, like all of these widely different topics that you have to edit through and like figure out what you're going to use, figure out what you're going to cut and like figure out where to put it. It's just so good. I think you would love it. All right. I'll check it out. Maybe we'll check it out on vacation or something where we have some downtime, but I don't know. 10 episodes. It's a lot. 10 whole hours. (laughs) Come on. I'll, I'll try. I'll try. Eventually. If you do try it, you got to get to episode four. Get through episode four. Hey, I only made you go to episode three with Arcane. What's so magic about episode four? I know, but episode three isn't as good in this one. But just... <laughs> okay. I mean, they're all good. They're all good. But at least I love... Episode four, at the end of it, is where it gets pretty real. You know, someone that wouldn't enjoy watching TV in any way, shape, or form is Henry David Thoreau. He wrote a book called Walden... Sometimes it's called Walden Pond, or the postscript is Walden Life in the Woods. Check this out if you're interested in a simple life and so on. It was published in 1854, so it's pretty old school to say the least. And it's also really hard to understand because, you know, 1854. People had better vocabularies back then and were generally smarter. That's true. Maybe not smarter, but better at speaking. I don't know. You get the point. It's, it's hard to pick up stuff from 1854 and immediately understand 100% of it because it's just like, this sentence went on for three pages. That's a lot of commas. Never in my life have I seen this many commas. <laughs> There's some great ideas in here about simple living, re- kind of relying on yourself. Not in a bad way, just like living out in the woods, doing your own thing. And so it's an experiment where for two years he moves onto this property, builds like kind of a shack out of wood and parts, and then he works some odd jobs in town so he can like buy food. And I think he maybe has some like beans and stuff growing in the garden as well that he can cook. But he just sort of walks around and does stuff in the woods all day, looks at the animals. He said like he lost a couple of his animals and so he looks for them every day, like never finds them. But then he also looks at the pond, kind of watches the the seasons change over time, like writes things down, tries to make scientific observations, obviously writes this ridiculously long thousands, thousands, thousands of word book that goes on forever and I'm not done with yet. So he had plenty of time to do that. (laughs) And so it's just, I think this peaceful, this generally peaceful existence that he's trying to talk about here. Again, it's hard to understand. Do I recommend this? book not necessarily it's kind of confusing but it, there's some interesting stuff in here like i suffered through several pages and then there's a really interesting point that makes me think here's an interesting quote quote actually the laboring man has not leisure for a true integrity day by day he cannot afford to sustain the manliest relations to men his labor would be depreciated in the market he has no time to be anything but a machine 
end quote. So what does that mean, taking it out of 1854 talk and putting it into 2022 talk? just means that he thinks that people work all the time, and by the time they're done working, there's like not any time left to enjoy nature or to write or to do anything. So he, and we can obviously talk about how maybe people work too much today too, but even back then he thought that people worked way too much because he saw these people that would work on a farm. Maybe they'd inherit a farm or something like that, but once they had it, they couldn't get rid of it. They had to work on it and spend time every day. They never stopped to like think about what other jobs they could work or how they could have enough food but not be out there for 12 hours a day or something like that. So he's optimizing for her kind of time there. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that's really interesting because I think, now there's so many options for what you want to do with your life. And so it's not like, oh, you have to do this because it was given to you. You know what I mean? Like you can choose where you want to go. But I think the problem with that is we all bring work home with us mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's not really like, yeah, there's no, there's no separation between home and work. But I don't know. That's just my immediate thought out of what you just said. And okay. So especially this happens when we're talking about working from home. Because there was some joke about how, oh, instead of working from home being taking your work to home, it's just now that you live at work. Oh, oh. Like you can't escape. People are wanting stuff from you all day, all this stuff. I've seen a transition to working from home in my own life, and I think that's true. The person in question is fine with that trade-off. Like, oh, you get the commute time back. You get get time back in exchange for losing time, people asking you stuff at weird times or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it is clearly like, it becomes questionable because if you don't have, if people are like being silly and working like at their counter or in their bed or whatever, like it becomes muddy. It, there's not a clear place where work happens. There's not a clear place where fun happens. If you aren't careful, I think it can be a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Cue uh, Spaceship You by CGP Grey. <laughs> <laughs> I think though. That, yeah, that, wow, what a good video. Mm. Let me do another quote. Quote, most of the luxuries and many of the so-called comforts of life are not only indispensable, but positive hindrances to the elevation of mankind. With respect to luxuries and comforts, the wisest have ever lived a more simple and meager life than the poor. What is that saying in 2022 talk? That's saying that we, we go after all these stuff. The reason people work for as long as they do, they're going to buy a house, then they're going to have five kids, then they're going to buy a bunch of cars. <laughs> it's like it never ends. You're always working and buying expensive stuff and so on forever. He's saying like, let's think about what do we really want? How much money do we need to pay for it? And then kind of start doing some math about what that's going to look like. Mm. Interesting things to think about there for sure. Mm-hmm. People get in trouble with all sorts of things. People are bad at using their money. And that that really got me thinking like, it's amazing how there's all these statistics about how you don't really have to have much to be in like the top 10%. And you don't have to have much on top of that to be in the t- next 8%. And then just a few more things, and you're in the top 5%. So I think there's some, I'm semi-making these up, but they're not far away from reality. So it's like, have you had a meal today? You're in the top 10% of the world. Mm. Do you have in your wallet some money and in your bank account some money? Okay, you're in the top like 8%. Do you have like a reliable place to live and a car? Okay, you're in the top like 5 or 4 and do you make $50,000 a year? Okay, you're in the top 3 or 2. It's something like That's that. That's crazy. Like you can keep throwing on these things that don't seem like that big of a deal all things considered and you're in like oh before you know it you're in the top three or two percent of people in the world wow so even if you're this like henry david thoreau person living in the woods in a cabin i mean he's got enough to eat he's got plenty of free time like i'd put him in the top four or five percent and he barely even has anything that's a very that oh yeah it's a good observation for sure as i mean it makes you realize how blessed you are and i don't want to tire out this topic too much i mean we've talked about simple living for 
many, many episodes, but that's true. I'm still talking about it because the world has not yet adopted simple living. I'll stop talking about it when the world <laughs> makes itself more simple. That's right. What is this about digital Sabbath? Tell me about it. <laughs> Great transition to A+. That's right. Speaking of digital Sabbath on Sundays and digital simplicity, uh, basically it was that I'm really trying to make an effort to, because I'm, as we've discussed, hi, my name is Zachary. Hi, Zachary. You're addicted to podcasts. I'm addicted to podcasts. <laughs> We're all addicted to podcasts. Mm. Actually, I don't think that's fair. You're not that addicted to podcasts because didn't you like, oh, delete the app or whatever, so you're not addicted after all. I did, yeah. I'm not, I don't really listen to a ton of podcasts. <laughs> and that's fair. Because I think the thing is, I do enjoy music. I don't feel like I enjoy music quite as much as you. And and don't get me wrong, I like it a lot. But I think you really, really like music. <laughs> but for me, podcasts overpower music. Like, it's so cool to hear these people talk about things and learn things. So if I'm handed, you know, w- with your left hand, would you like to take music? Or with your right hand, would you like to take podcasts? I'll always reach out and take podcasts. Mm. And so that will tend to occupy my time. So anyway, I've just been thinking... This is partially inspired by some of the ideas in the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. We talked about it briefly before, but I think he had some ideas in there about digital Sabbath on Sundays. Basically, don't be checking email. Maybe like still text and be be around for your family or whatever, but don't know, probably not podcasts, probably not tons of YouTube videos, probably not browsing the web and so forth. And just sort of letting letting God say what he wants to say to you. So I've been giving that a try. I didn't do perfect this Sunday. I did pretty well. I think I sort of cracked near the end, like 8 or 9 p.m. I was listening to an episode. Uh, we'll get into why. I was listening to an episode uh, for the last topic here, but I was, yeah, I did <laughs> crack and started listening to podcasts again. It was maybe like 11.30 or 12 or something like that, and it was about time to go to sleep. It's like, here I am in my room listening to podcasts. I should be going to sleep. I'm addicted because <laughs> I'm on purpose staying up a bit to listen. It's like, you, man, you are addicted. You're so addicted. So mm. put the phone down and go to sleep. But So it's just been part of like... I mean, addiction is a strong word, obviously, but also I've deleted the app a bunch of times and redownloaded a couple of days later. Oh, we've got to listen to podcasts now. Mm-hmm. That's not quite addiction, but it's clearly like it's kind of uncomfortable for me to not listen to be able to listen to podcasts throughout the day. Because mm-hmm. A, I'm afraid of missing out on like cool shows and I enjoy them. But it's also if there's stuff I'm feeling anxious about in the morning when I'm waking up and going about my day, it's like a quick way to really distract yourself from that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, listen to people talk about like Apple or whatever. Yeah. So that's been tough because it's like, OK, you can turn off that for the podcast but then like what thoughts are going to come up they might be good thoughts to come up or there might be bad thoughts that come up that's true and obviously if there are bad thoughts to come up i want to like shove them in a box is wrong but i guess maybe drown them out sure i get that i yeah i mean i think the idea of i think the idea of a digital sabbath is really cool and i, I like it a lot because and he even talked about this the same guy who wrote ruthless elimination of hurry in live no lies he talked about how silence and solitude is not a place of rest. It's a place where like the battle is won or lost. Um, like Jesus doesn't go out to the wilderness to like take a break. He goes out to be alone and like fights the enemy. <laughs> and I think if we're doing it right and like practicing, not necessarily Sabbath, this is more, I guess, solitude, which I guess is a different tangent, but like to in my head, like Sundays are like, I get to just rest for a second. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is nice, but also like if that turns into solitude, I don't know. It's not like there. I guess my point is there should be purpose behind each thing, each spiritual discipline that we have. And so if like if like yeah, like you were saying, like digital Sabbath, like if that's a discipline you want to practice, like make it intentional. You know, like not just stopping the input of one thing, but maybe starting the input of something else that's more healthy or like points you back to like you know like. That I guess that's, yeah, not substituting, you know what I mean? Not just removing. 
Um, so like maybe it's something with your hands that you do, like that just slows you down and like makes you appreciate what God is doing or I don't know, reading. I don't know, like whatever is restful for you. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yep. And I did obviously get bored mm. of shockingly. Yep. <laughs> I saw I did substitute with reading and walking with my uh, family and yeah. so forth. So there were other options of things to do. And what's kind of funny, it's like, oh, I definitely felt peaceful and good throughout that day. And then that, like my brain whispers to me, you could feel peaceful and good all the time. Just, you know, throw your phone in the ocean <laughs> honestly, and you're fine. Honestly. It's like no one can contact you. You're, you know, people are bleeding out on the side of the road, but I don't know about it. So here I am and I'm peaceful. <sighs> one day I'll do the flip phone experiment for a year. I really want to. I would have a backup iPhone though that would be like in a very hard to get to place. But like if for road trips and there might be reasons to have actual like some amount of safety when it comes to maps and find my friends and everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to do the flip phone thing someday. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know how that would work as far because you could still get texts. Then I would be a green bubble. Uh, (laughs) uh. Uh, Couldn't do that to your friends and loved ones. If Apple ever made that more comfortable to where there wasn't like, Zachary liked the entire text of the message. Mm-hmm. Joe liked the entire long text of the message. If Apple fixed that, which they totally could do, check out the video by MKBHD. Mm-hmm. They can fix that the second they want. Google has already fixed it. But Apple, the only people that suffer are iMessage users in a SMS and iMessage thread. The SMS people don't even suffer because their phones understand and put thumbs up next to it instead of the entire message. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, so, but anyway, if Apple ever fixed that, I would think about switching to a phone <laughs> is what I'm saying. Apple, you're in charge of my life now. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, man. The reason I was listening to another episode, I was re-listening to the episode of the College Try, just the short segment where Joe was talking about turning 20, how he was having a crisis, leaving his teenage years behind, so forth. Uh, It was very sad and hard (laughs) for you to do. I didn't have the same existential crisis as Joe did. I'm super glad to leave behind my teen years because I did so much stupid stuff and made so many mistakes and was a general idiot. (laughs) So goodbye, old me. Hello, new me, who is sometimes an idiot, but also hasn't i mean yeah i've only been 20 for a few days nothing too bad can happen but there's like so much cringy stuff (laughs) i I sometimes think back to me like it haunts me like oh no you shouldn't have said that oh no you shouldn't have did that Mm. uh so bad (laughs) and maybe that's just sort of part of being a teenager like do the people involved that i did and said stupid stuff do really remember i highly highly doubt it but oh there's some really really bad stuff in there not like burning down the school or whatever (laughs) they're just like embarrassing things where i sort of needed to put my foot in my mouth and act differently than i did Mm. yeah well that's definitely interesting i think i think (laughs) i think that it illustrates very well the difference between you and i um (laughs) because you you tend to be more of a person of if this thing isn't life-giving or productive in any sort of way, I'm going to like get rid of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I am not. That's exactly my personality in one sense. <laughs> I am not that Good way. Job. So I look at all the stupid things I've done over the past five years or so and like I get nostalgic about them and I miss them. You would look at the same things and go, I don't need that. Like, why do I, why am I carrying it around? This is dumb. Like, so if you think back to cringy stuff, you're not like having a reaction I'm having where I'm literally like physically tensing up like, oh, no, you're just like, oh, little Joe. Yeah, that's more of it. So it's more of a positive ish kind of deal and not a like, oh, man, cringy. Exactly. It reminds me of how far I've come, you know, that's a healthier way. Like I remember being so nervous to play Oceans at the six because it had a big piano part. Like, you know what I mean? Like that stuff that was five years ago, six years ago. And now I look at it and I'm like, man, I've grown so much. And that's not necessarily embarrassing, I guess, but I just, I look on it fondly and I like to 
be nostalgic anyway. So yeah, but I guess, I guess that makes sense being the person you are. Um, and I'm, I'm glad it wasn't a super existential crisis for you. That's, that's good. <laughs> I mean, it's not too often you get to turn over a super fresh start for a new decade. That's true. It doesn't happen often. So I definitely hope to make the most of it and think about and kind of think about how I do life and think about how I do things and hopefully become slightly more mature than I am now. No, but but I do have things uh, that are largely known only to me, and many of them are not super formal, but I do have ideas about how I want to do the next decade differently than I did the past decade. And obviously, it will bring it bring a lot of changes. It will bring a, a very different life than the life of a student, because I'm probably not going back to school. Mm, yeah. So I'm, I'll be free. I'll be free here. But I don't know. I, I mean, I feel the same. I'm just, I guess, here getting a little wiser over time, which is helpful. But I mean, there's not a whole lot to say. It feels roughly the same as 19. Only with like, because people always ask, does it feel different? And it never does. Because Tom Ellsworth, one of our, our old preachers actually said, said something one time. He was like, I don't know how we got him to do it or whatever, but he was in there when we were doing fifth grade core group to give part of our lesson. And it's like, oh, we got him to do fifth grade core group. How did we get him <laughs> to do that? Because he's like really busy. I don't know. He, we somehow got him to do it. But he kind of gave one his talk that he often does about like, he's pretty confident in God. Like obviously being a preacher, you better be confident in God, but <laughs> just looking around at like how complicated nature is and how precise everything runs, he's pretty confident there was intelligent design and a creator that did it. And he gave examples like, oh, a hummingbird flaps its wings nearly uh, 4,000 times a minute. <laughs> I'm making up those numbers, yeah. but just things that it doesn't seem like could have accidentally happened. And then after he said that, he said something I never stopped thinking about, which is that your mind doesn't change is what he said he feels the same as when he was like this 10 year old kid running around in the, in the old olden days when everything was black and white <laughs> and they lived in log cabins, but he doesn't feel any different. He feels the same because he's grown. Obviously he's gotten older. Things have changed around him, but his, it's not like his mind, like when he turned 50 or whatever, clicked to this brand new gear and he's this different person. It's just, it's always been the same. There's like no difference. So it's like, there's this kind of, it smears in, right? Cause you're from zero to tens, you're like, you don't remember much or anything, but you were growing and developing 10 to 20. I think most people remember a good bit. And then so, so on from, from when you're 20, but it kind of all runs together. It's not like there was ever this one point where I'm a new person. Mm -hmm. There was never like the sharp line for anything. I mean, maybe going to college or something would be a sharp line, but even that it's like things kind of blur into each other when you look back. Absolutely. And change is a gradual thing because it's not, yeah, it's not like I, I woke up on the day of my 20th birthday. And I was like, I am mature now. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> That's not how it happens. And, you know, I think, I think it's, yeah, change is a gradual thing. And I think it's, to me, it's fun to look back and go, wow. Like, cause really the only difference is maturity, knowledge and wisdom. And I think, you know, knowledge being the head knowledge and then wisdom being the experiential knowledge put together, that's maturity. Um, well, plus the ability to like change your actions based on those things, but you only get knowledge and wisdom over time, right? So you only mature over time. And so it is weird to me that I'm like paying my bills and like worrying about rent and like trying to make sure my car works well and like all this stuff. In this economy? Yeah, right. And like four years ago, I was a junior in high school hanging out and I just got my first job and I had just gone to my first prom. Like, how did that happen? Right? Like, it's not like I just woke up, you know, and was like, yeah, I'm going to start paying my rent. Like, it's 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 over time, small changes that don't really feel that it's significant result in big change over time, which is 
weird and cool and weird. Yeah. James Clear in his book Atomic Habit says tiny changes, remarkable results. So even though the changes from age to age, you only maybe learn a little bit each time or a medium amount, but that creates quite the exponential growth of knowledge over time. You just learn a little each time. It really builds on itself and the more knowledge you have, you know, knowledge is power as the kids say, but as the kids say, the more knowledge you have, the more you can like connect dots and, and get things together and so it all works out. Anyway, there's not a whole lot to say for me turning 20. It's just I'm <laughs> I'm the age I am. People will, I mean, I don't know. I'm, because it's like, the, we have talked about the ego trip thing where it's like, oh, what age I am? Oh, 22, huh? I got you, 19. It's like that kind of breaks down when you're 20 because people would guess 20 or 21 all the time anyway. Because hmm. people in college look the same sometimes. You don't know how old they are. That's true. That's true. So we can't really use that trick anymore when I'm 20. Well, I think that we should end out this special episode of the college try with a, a heartwarming rendition of happy birthday okay <laughs> okay are you ready am i singing my own birthday song no no no. i'm going to sing to you oh okay that's not awkward and and viewer please please join in with me listener not viewer please <laughs> please sing with me to zachary you've been calling them viewers <laughs> since the first episode. oh no it's a running joke <laughs> Is that really a thing? Have I really been doing that? You've been calling the listeners viewers, Joe, since almost 50 episodes. Wow. Why would you stop now? Okay, viewer. <laughs> There's no video version of the Sing podcast. Sing with though. me, okay? Anyway, I'll shut up. <laughs> a one and a two. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Zachary. Happy birthday to you and many more. Wow, listeners, that sounded great. Thank you for harmonizing <laughs> along with Joe. Was that a barbershop that, quartet? Yes, wow. we practiced and everything. It was awesome.